0: you really thought my desk was that bad that you had to write it into the game?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Talking Simulator, a series of short conversations about video games with interesting people who play them. I'm Jordan Erica Weber, and in this episode, I discuss the semi-autobiographical point-and-click adventure, No Longer Home, with my guest, Hannah Lee.
0: Hi, I'm Hannah Lee. I'm a game developer and illustrator based in Tokyo, Japan. My pronouns are they, them. And yeah, I did a bunch of the art stuff for No Longer Home, from concepts to assets and whatnot, also doing a bit of writing here and there. So yeah, just on the artistic side of things, I suppose.
1: Hannah co-developed No Longer Home with their partner, Sel Davison, with help from others on the music and code over the course of six years the game is about a transitional time in their lives. University is over and the pair, represented in the game as the dual playable protagonists, Al and Bo, are being forced apart by visa limitations. If you've experienced similar issues in your life, take care when playing this game and or listening to this episode. In No Longer Home, you alternately guide Al and Bo around their flat in southeast London, reflecting on objects in the home and having conversations with each other and their friends. It's a short game, so you could definitely take an evening to play it through before listening to this episode, but the following conversation shouldn't spoil the experience if you decide to listen first. Cool. Well, yeah, thank you for giving me your time. I finished the game on Friday because when I emailed you, I'd actually only played like half of it. It's a short one. So I think it's like one or two sittings would suffice. Yeah, I feel like probably most people play it in one sitting, do you think?
0: Yeah, it seems like I think if it resonates with them, they usually kind of cut it into bits because they need to take a break every so often just because it's like emotionally overwhelming Mm. here and there. But I think most people just played it in one sitting.
1: Speedrunners. Yeah, basically. (laughs) (laughs) How do you describe the game for people who haven't played it? Um, So No Longer Home is a point-and-click
0: semi-autobiographical game that has magical realist elements to it. And it's about two university graduates based in southeast London preparing to move out of the flat. One has to go back to their parents' house in East London and the other has to go back to Japan and this other character is based off me and the one going back to East London is Sel. So yeah it actually draws from our experiences of graduating university and not really knowing what to do next and yeah it's really just like a slice of life. People in their mid-20s not really knowing what to do with their life and kind of musing about what to do, what jobs to get and all those sort of hashtag relatable things I suppose.
1: Yeah was that relatability intentional or was it a natural byproduct? Because we see the game itself is really specific to you as people and to a certain place. But like you said, it is really relatable. So did you mean for that to happen?
0: Uh, We didn't because it derived off of just wanting to immortalize the flat that we lived in because we liked it so much. And we made 3D models of it and just decided to make a game off of it. It was supposed to be very small, like a tiny memoir kind of thing, but we realized that there were more sort of stories we wanted to tell with it, and it kept expanding. And I think all the relatable aspects were just sort of byproducts of, you know, illustrating how our lives were post-graduation, and I'm sure it's something that, you know, thousands and thousands of people have experienced as well, just feeling very lost and alone and not really knowing who to depend on and things like that.
1: To what extent did you feel like you had to make the game have like a broad appeal so that it would, you know, sell a lot of copies and have a lot of eyeballs on it? Or was it kind of meant to be the end product of a process that you were going through for yourselves that just happened to appeal to other people?
0: I think, yeah, it's the latter because so it started off as just telling our stories and then we realized that there were a couple of more sort of themes that we wanted to express that we were feeling during university but felt more strongly afterwards regarding like immigration or gender or mental health and stuff but these were still things that we were feeling back in the day so it's just kind of like taking a step back and seeing what might appeal to people what might not and just kind of like cherry-picking what stories you felt were important to tell, I suppose.
1: I'm interested in how the game developed over time and how you felt about it over time, because it took like six years for you to make, right? Yes, (laughs) yes. It's way too long. (laughs) You know, you said there that you had an idea of what kind of topics you wanted it to be about at the beginning, and then more things came up over the course of development. So what themes were you touching on at the start? And what did it end up being about in the end?
0: So I think at first, it was focused more on the mental health aspects of things. If I remember correctly, it's, it's been such a long time since we first you know started developing. It. And it used to be called 29 as well. And I think by that point, it was still a very, very small game. So yeah, I think we weren't really focused on the whole like immigration aspect of things. And I think back then, it could have been a lot broader because of Know topics about mental illness and stuff, or mental health is just generally a broader topic, I think. It's more of like a worldwide thing, if that makes sense. I can't remember what made us want to talk about immigration stuff. I think it was just this like discomfort and irritation that we were feeling about not being able to see each other, even like after four or five years. And I think we decided that that's. Sort of like the biggest issue or sort of topic that we wanted to address because it's so intersectional with other topics as well. I don't think any of the problems that the protagonists in *No like Home* face are like standalone; they all intersect with each other in a very complicated manner.
1: And how about the personal feelings that you were experiencing that the game was based on? Like, how did those change over the course of development? I kind of want to get a sense of where you were at kind of personally and emotionally at the beginning and, and where you were at the end. I
0: think towards the beginning, honestly, it was a bit of a mess because we, we did start developing it right after graduation. So there were a lot of feelings that we couldn't process. And once we actually started the whole development process, I think we were already far apart. So I was back at their parents and I was back at mine in Japan And sort of reliving our memories through, like, writing the dialogue and stuff was very tough. And, yeah, it was quite hard. And, like, you know, there would be times where I'd just start crying because I remember a bunch of things. And it was tough on Cell as well. But I think as years went by, we were able to um, see it more objectively and kind of see ourselves as characters rather than, like, actual people, if that makes any sense, like, I think if we didn't take that step back, the development process would have been a lot more difficult. And I think the stories we wanted to tell would have been a bit more muddled just because we wouldn't really have had that clarity of like what to
1: talk about, I guess. Do you think that working on the game helped you to get to that point where you were looking at it more objectively? Or was it the other way around? Like you ended up naturally looking at it more objectively and that helped the game?
0: I think it just came naturally just because it's been years since we started developing it. And so many things have happened in our lives between the start and finish of the game. So I think it was honestly like a process of becoming adults in a sense and accepting that memories are memories that you can't live in anymore and just putting them in the past but in a very fond way yeah I think it was quite healthy actually because we didn't really have to be super mopey about things anymore and we started looking forwards rather than backwards
1: When you were still at the point of of getting mopey, as you call it, and and kind of occasionally crying (laughs) during development, how did you take care of yourselves? And do you feel like you learned anything about how to take care of oneself during a creative process like this?
0: Yeah, definitely. I think towards the beginning, it was very much like reassuring ourselves that things will be fine, like development-wise and just life-wise as well. And it was quite tough. And I think we were not very good at taking care of ourselves because we weren't really sure who to talk about these issues with apart from ourselves really like we would be on regular calls and get mopey and stuff again but i think the more people we had to talk about the better things got and it kind of goes back to the whole seeing things objectively but yeah we're not like reliving the memories anymore again, it's kind of like looking back at things and i think that really helped and trying to like share our experiences with others helped as well. And again, just like having regular calls, checking up on each other, seeing if we're fine. But I think also doing events and stuff helped with the whole Mopi aspect of things as well, just because like getting people to see what we've been making and getting like that sort of instant gratification was very good. <laughs> and yeah, I guess we were able to know that, you know, people like this thing and we're not just, you know, making it for extremely personal reasons. We wanted to show it to other people. So I think that sort of exposure helps as well.
1: You said there that, that talking to people other than each other about what you were going through really helped. Did making the game help you to find people to talk to? Like, is there a sense in which, you know, people who are playtesting it or like people you met at games events became those people, that community for you?
0: Yeah, I think so. Like, several people that have played the game have come up to us talking about their own experiences. And, like, even if these people are complete strangers, it does help to know that we're not alone in this. And, like, other people struggle from immigration issues, whether it be just, like, getting a work visa, getting student visas and stuff. So, yeah, it really helped to know that, you know, this isn't just our own struggles. It's a lot of other people's struggles. And that sucks and I don't like that reality but at the same time there's this sort of solidarity with it as well
1: you mentioned that one of the ways you kind of dealt with what you were experiencing was kind of reassuring yourself that things would be fine and it's interesting that you said that because I picked up on that quite a lot in the game both Al and Bo are kind of talking themselves through things and telling themselves that it will be okay in the end does that accurately reflect how you were feeling at the time? Or is that kind of you now being kind of superimposed on the you of six years ago?
0: That's interesting. I think it's easily both. Back in the day, we were like, okay, it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. It'll all be fine. Ended up not being very fine. Um, mm. I'm still in Japan. Um, well, stills move out of their parents alleys, but I'm still kind of struggling to find my place or to find my actual quote-unquote home. But... Yeah, I think it's kind of also the act of our present selves telling our past selves that it'll be fine in the end. Like, even if things aren't really the way we want it to be, we're still, you know, we're here, we're making games and doing what we want, essentially. So so yeah, it's kind of like a conversation of the past and present, I guess, interestingly.
1: You obviously share quite a lot of yourselves in this game. So your feelings about immigration and borders and specific interpersonal frustrations as well, like within your relationship, you know, there's things like the messy desk that you know one character has this messy desk that they don't see as that much of a big deal. They kind of feel a little bit guilty about it, but it's not that bad. The other person gets a bit frustrated about it, but they don't really talk about it. What was it like for you to put these things down in the game like was it ever difficult to express that kind of frustration
0: it was it definitely was regarding the messy desk thing (laughs) I wasn't super aware that it affected Cell that much so when they wrote it into the game I actually got a bit not offended but shocked I suppose like Mm. you really thought my desk was that bad that you had to write (laughs) it into the game (laughs) but I think you know A lot of people do suffer from having messy desks and not being able to organize, and like trying to come to terms with that, whether like they need to clean up or not and stuff. So, like, I'm glad it's in there. And yeah, there's some other things in the game that we were unsure of putting in or keeping out, but I think we ended up keeping most of the things in just because we thought it would add to like the personal flavor of the game. Some things we did leave out just intentionally because, yeah, it was just not that interesting or, like, didn't want certain people to find out about certain things as well. Mm. And whatever kind of invoked very negative, extremely negative feelings about some other person, we left out intentionally.
1: This game is obviously quite short and some video game players have problems with games being short. Did it ever strike you as a problem when you were thinking about what content to keep and what to leave out like did you ever think we should leave in as much as possible to make sure the game is a good length or was it more about making sure that it made sense as a whole so initially we were
0: going to make this game episodic but because of just reasons here and there we decided to compress everything into one game we didn't want to make it too lengthy just because the setting is in one flat and There's honestly not too much you can do with that, but I think we did a huge overhaul with the dialogue earlier this year, I think, where we just figured out, okay, we're going to have a sit down and pin down what we actually want to talk about and what we want to include in this game that we could have included in sequels, but we're just going to put it in here. And we just kind of like sifted through a couple of ideas and see what we can like neatly fit into certain places And I think to us, it felt quite, like, meaty, and there was a lot of content. But obviously, you know, we have had complaints that the game is short. But I think, you know, like, games can be short. It's fine. Like, I don't want every single one of my games to be 60 hours long. That requires, like, 100% of my attention. (laughs) But, like, I understand why people would say it's short, because, well, it is compared to others. But, uh, I mean, I think... You know, it's fine, and it's not a very intense game in terms of, like, gameplay or anything. It's more of, like, trying to give you a relaxing time, as well as giving you a bit of an existential crisis. (laughs) It did worry us around the beginning, I think, but now we're pretty confident about its length, and if you play it properly, you know, it can last for a bit as well, so...
1: Why did you make the decision to allow players to inhabit both Ao and Bo?
0: So we wanted people to see things from different perspectives. Even if it's the same issue, they'll probably tackle it differently, like we would in real life as well. But we also wanted to sort of give it a feel that it's like the players directing the stage play almost. So like in multiple choice dialogue, you can choose between several characters And it's not just one person driving the conversation. And just wanted to keep it realistic and also kind of give the player the opportunity to hear other voices as well. But yeah, this game was pretty heavily um, influenced by theater and just how things play out and stuff. And also, I think another huge inspiration was Kentucky Rootsera, and they do something similar in terms of like giving other characters chances to speak. So yeah, it was that and also wanting to give people more perspectives.
1: You specifically reference Kentucky Route Zero within the game itself. And then in the credits, you list a whole bunch of references, which I haven't really seen done in a game's credits before. How did you come to make that decision?
0: That was actually Sol's decision, because I think the idea was that these various titles influenced our game. So we want people to enjoy them as well. Like, you know, they're just good films, good books. Like... There are things that we are extremely into, and to understand the game more, I suppose, like, these are things that you can um, enjoy, like, watch or play or read. But, yeah, that was totally not my idea. I wish it was. (laughs) (laughs) But it was very nice to list down all the things that have influenced me for this game and just in general. And, yeah, just looking back at like what my tastes are like and it was quite interesting actually.
1: This is a bit of a tangent so don't worry if you don't have an answer for this but having seen that list of influences in the credits it makes me think about discussions that have been going on recently about where games sit within culture and, you know, people saying you can be a cultural critic without knowing anything about games, but you couldn't be a film critic without knowing anything about books, for instance. I wonder how you feel about that. Do you think that games still sit apart from things like theatre and books and cinema? Or as this list of influences suggests, do you think that there's a place for them within all of that other stuff? Yeah, I think
0: so. Like my take on all this is that video games is just a piece of medium it's like any you know it's a picture or it's like a picture it's like a book I don't really give it a special sort of treatment it's just you know video games are video games and it's a type of medium and that's it for me really so I don't super enjoy like all the sort of discourse our video games are and I'm just like I don't
1: care video games are video games (laughs) So when it comes to the fact that the player gets to switch between the two different characters, one thing that I thought was interesting was obviously they have a lot of shared experiences, but then there's also quite a distinct difference between them with the cupboard under the stairs. Can you tell me more about how that came about?
0: So we were just like, you know, we want to add more monsters in the game, like natural (laughs) realism, let's go kind of thing. I can't
1: quite remember why we decided
0: to add that room and monster and in the end. I think the idea was that we wanted to assign each character a monster. So the one under the stairs is ours, and the one that you meet right before the end is Bo's. Although that one specifically is based off a friend of ours. But the one under the stairs, Gi, is kind of like the inner demons of Bao and kind of a personification, if you could call it that, or monsterization of their undiagnosed bipolar disorder we didn't really get into specifics about that i think it's more interesting if it's open to interpretation if people want to interpret it as like a literal monster that's totally cool as well but that was sort of the idea and in terms of lou the one you meet before ending the game is kind of more like those internal demons about not seeing friends enough or like not Doing things enough in time and not really having the energy and feeling sort of guilty about that. So it reflects both characters in a, one a very hostile manner and the other in a more forgiving manner, I suppose.
1: One thing that I thought was really interesting about the game was that you gave the player the option to try to get Al, for instance, to push against their natural tendencies. So, for instance, by trying to get them to make the bed and things like this, (laughs) but the game didn't let you push too far. You know, Al would always say no to those kinds of things that went against their natural instincts. How did you decide how much choice to give the player and where to kind of cut them off? And and did you notice anything about the way in which different players tried to play these characters?
0: That is not honestly something I've thought about. There are bits where you can change ever so slightly. So in the desk scene, if Al says, "Okay, I'll clean it up and ask for for tips. Later on in the game, the desk becomes clean. If you leave it and be like, "Okay, that's not my problem right now, then it remains messy. So we've made like tiny little tweaks here and there. I can't remember. I don't think we did the bed one actually but we didn't really make extremely conscious decisions about like what in the environment changes. But it's interesting to see people's choices and see how they see themselves in that sort of situation. Because I think a majority of people, when they're controlling out, they decided to clean the desk, if I remember correctly, because they thought it was the right thing to do when me personally, I'm still a messy person, my desk is still a mess, (laughs) and I would have chosen the option to, you know, leave it, it'll be fine. Or maybe if I'm feeling a bit nicer, I'd just be like, okay, let's clean this thing. Yeah, we didn't make too many conscious decisions about, like, quote-unquote consequences, because there aren't really any consequences in the game, and the multiple-choice dialogue as well, that's more to add flavour to characters and sort of help you mould the interpretations of characters rather than, like, changing the trajectory of the game or anything. Like, there's only one ending as well. So, which seems to have put a couple of people off because they like multiple choice endings, but we're not a huge fan of that. So, just personally speaking.
1: Seems like it would be difficult to make an autobiographical game multiple choice. Yeah, I just... Yeah, I wouldn't do it. <laughs> How did you feel when you saw players making different decisions than you would with the character that was based so heavily on you?
0: Towards the beginning, when we were showing it at events, I would just be like, why? That's not me. But then now I can take a step back, being like, OK, that's you know, their interpretation of the characters or they themselves speaking and projecting themselves onto the characters. It's totally fine. But at first it was very strange and surreal and kind of perverse in a way because like I'm just looking at this one person playing a game and they're trying to sway our lives in a way Mm -hmm. that they want and this is something I realized recently it's just what we've done is quite weird and I know it ended up being fine and I don't think Anyone goes into the game being like, oh, this is like semi-autobiographical and super weird. And it's like, it's weird that I'm controlling characters that are based off the developers and stuff like that. But yeah, at first it it was very odd and it took a while to get used to.
1: Do you think it at all impacts the strength of the kind of message of the game that people have? those choices and that ability to make slightly different decisions about the ways that the characters react to the situation that they're in?
0: To an extent, I think, like, I would like to say the decisions don't really matter, but it kind of does on a very personal level. Like, I think when I watch people play and make certain choices, I sometimes, like, wonder if, you know, they're, like, they themselves as the player, are like, are they taking care of themselves? Like, what are their personal... Lives like if they're going for this specific decision, even though it doesn't like change much about the game. Oh, yeah, I'm not sure if we actually had a lot of like balanced stuff just because of the semi autobiographical nature of it. Like, every option, even if we've not voiced them specifically, it's what we've been thinking back at that time. So, like, there's really no right or wrong answer to anything and yeah i think it does kind of gel with the themes well as well because like players can choose to ignore to find out more about certain topics or choose to delve into it a bit more and it's kind of up to them if they want to find more about things or not so we're not really like forcing anyone to stick to certain topics i suppose
1: You mentioned earlier that the game started because you made this model based on this place that you'd lived and you decided to make a game in it. How did you decide how much of the house to recreate, what details to keep, what details to leave out? So at the very, very first, Cell
0: made like a pixel art thing of their room. And that's actually where the whole game derives from. It's from that illustration of the studio that used to be their bedroom and we thought we might be able to do something interesting with that and then just decided to model the studio at first and I think in real life it was a lot messier than it <laughs> is in the game but there are just a lot of details that we had to keep out just for design reasons and it was just going to be a bit too costly. We were going to turn it into a very small vignette but We decided to model the whole flat in the end just because we wanted to, again, like immortalize it and kind of relive some memories through making it. So, yeah, all the rooms came one by one. And yeah, not really much of an interesting progression to that. It was just (laughs) us deciding, like, oh, yeah, let's just do the whole thing then.
1: How did it feel to immortalize this place that you'd lived in a game form?
0: It feels very odd, especially knowing that other people live there. There are times when we go to London and, like, walk by the flat and then just, you know, notice that someone else has inhabited this place. And it's like, that's our house. Like, why are you here? So, yeah, it's it's really weird to turn what's like, you know, it's someone else's personal space now, but we kind of claims it as her own i think we will keep claiming it as our own but it's it's quite odd it's yeah it's it's interesting to say the least
1: there presumably were some advantages when it came to making the game of just using this one location so practically or, or thematically
0: yeah definitely but I think we just got so tired of seeing the same old house over and over and over again. So we decided to add the game within a game scene where you're walking through the forest and uh, we decided to model, spoilers, the outside of the house as well. (laughs) That was a very, very nice change in pace because I was so sick of seeing the same things over and over again. So when I was like concepting these scenes as well, I was like, oh yeah, like finally something else to work on. So yeah, that was really fun. And I think the outside scenes or like the game within a game scene, they contrast very well with the flat because the flat's very claustrophobic, whereas the outside's like the outside. It's, it's a forest or it's a street and it's very like open and, you know, not covered by walls anymore. So I think that jump between a very claustrophobic environment and a very open environment was very fun to convey.
1: How do you think that that claustrophobic feeling of the space in which you spend most of the game reflects the themes that you're exploring?
0: I think it I think it explores it quite well in terms of, so at the very, not the very end, but sort of the climax-ish part of the game, the bow and Dow talk about how they were trapped in their own minds up to that point. And I think it's true because they both internalise a lot of feelings and... There are a lot of topics that they've not really spoken to each other about and they kept it in and I guess didn't really feel the need to talk about it with each other when they actually really needed to communicate these things. So I think that works with how claustrophobic the setting is or like the environment is because, you know, it's not that you're not allowed to go outside. Like it's you're not given the option, but it's just like the character doesn't feel like going outside. So... You're just huddled in this, you know, tiny flat like a hermit. And once they do have that huge conversation, you're finally allowed to go out of the house and go out and explore and see what awaits you in life. So I think, yeah, I think it worked well in the end.
1: Is there a sense in which finishing this game and releasing it finally after six years is a similar kind of moment for you as that leaving the house? Definitely.
0: <laughs> it did open a lot of doors to other emotions because. So, we did our PC release and we're also having our console release. So, you would get like your first relief and then you'd get this like other huge wall right in front mm. of you being like, oh, if you're, like, you're releasing on um, super major consoles, like get ready for that. So, it's kind of rather than opening a door to like your tiny flat it kind of feels like you're tearing down walls one after the other and just kind of like bulldozing your way through almost it's kind of like a very cathartic freedom in a sense it's like oh yeah it's out but there's so many other things i need to you know deal with but it'll be fine i'm just gonna cruise my way through and things will all be fine in the end
1: (laughs) i think that's the perfect place to stop (laughs) thank you so much yeah thank you no longer home is currently available for pc xbox and nintendo switch if you want to look out for their next game you can follow humble grove on twitter at h-u-m-b-l-e-g-r-o-v-e and hannah at b-o-n-a-n-e-h i'm at jerica weber and the podcast is at talking sim pod you can also email us with thoughts and suggestions for games or topics at talking at gmail.com though the first place for any effusive praise is a review on Apple Podcasts. Our music is by Jazz Mickel. You can find her at J-A-Z-Z-M-I-C-K-L-E. Talking Simulator is mixed by Lemington's loveliest audio person, Dan Parks. If you need to make something sound good, you can find him at D-A-N-C-P-A-R-K-E-S. I'm Jordan Erica Webber. Talk again soon. This voice is a new thing. I don't know if you have <laughs> the lady going, recording in progress is like yeah. a,
0: a new feature. Oh, I got mine in like a British accent. <gasps> like it was a British lady speaking. That's so
1: weird. <laughs> are they, do they always make sure it's someone other than like where you are? Like why would oh, they give maybe. me an American?
0: <laughs>